Hello and welcome to H2Omics, the Carlson's podcast that gives you insight into the smart irrigation and sustainability world. I'm Carolina Alban Stoughton. With record drought conditions and climate trends indicating that the current water restrictions are likely to become an ongoing fact of life, there's an urgent need for us to think about our water use differently. A holistic approach that considers all the factors contributing to how much water we need to use and how often we use it. Our guest today is Carlson's president and CEO, AJ Vandeven. AJ joined Carlson's in 2005 as a software engineer. As he worked his way up to become the head of the company, AJ developed a passion for water conservation and sustainability. AJ is also deeply involved in the San Diego region community by serving on several nonprofit boards, such as the Carlsbad Chamber of Commerce, Ecolife Conservation, and the Carlsbad Educational Foundation. AJ teaches a water management course at Cal State University San Marcos as well. Welcome, AJ. It's truly an honor to have you on the H2Omics podcast. Thank you, Carolina. I'm really excited to be here. So let's start from the beginning. Where does your passion for water conservation come from and why does it matter? You know, it's interesting. When I first joined CalSense, I was more focused on kind of exploring how I could continue my personal professional growth in terms of software engineering. And I wasn't really as focused on trying to make a difference in terms of water conservation as I am today. And it really hit right around the time that I was about to take over as president. I realized that there was a lot I didn't know about water and you know, where water comes from, how it's treated, you know, all those different things, especially living here in California. There's so much complexity to what we have going on in the state. And so I started to explore and research different areas about water, including sitting down and going through a program with the San Diego County Water Authority, taking a program at Cal State San Marcos about water, specifically related to helping develop the next generation of water managers in the region. And throughout that, those programs, I really had an epiphany. You know, We had originally set out to conserve water using our technology. And during my software engineering years, I was really a big part of that. But I never really understood exactly how much water a product like ours could save. And as I started to realize how difficult it is to get potable water here in the state of California and throughout other parts of the country, I started to really understand how important it was, especially with the current drought conditions. And they call it a mega drought here in California right now in terms of not having enough water due to the Colorado River drying up and the snowpack in Sierra Nevada is starting to dissipate. And so as those conditions continue to get worse, it becomes more and more important for us to figure out how can we use every drop of water that we have as efficiently as possible. You know, we, we want to eliminate waste as much as possible, but we also just want to make sure we're not using more than we need to, even if, it, if, even if it's not considered waste. You know, we want to make sure that that water is available for people, for the environment and everybody else who may need that. How can technology help conserve water? So now you're getting into you know, my area of passion when it comes to <laughs> water conservation using technology. You know, product like ours already goes such a long way in terms of 
leveraging weather-based data, whether it's in-ground sensors or on-site sensors or remote sensing data through satellite imagery and other modeling. You know, there's so much that a, a product using automation and artificial intelligence like ours can do to help conserve water. But there's so much more to technology, in, especially in terms of landscape irrigation and different areas that that can really play into deeper conservation. So our product, for example, using the weather-based information helps to determine how much to water and when to water or when not to water in the case of rain and things like that. When you start to add on other types of sensors, so for, for example, flow sensing, when you've got your landscaper, they're mowing the lawn and their mower rolls over one of those sprinkler heads. Next time it turn, comes on, you get a huge geyser. And when you start to look at how you know we can manage that, we can detect it within about 20 seconds of that head popping and turn it off and notify users via email or text message that that occurred so they can send out a crew to fix it and continue to water the rest of the site, even though that one small area had a problem. And so those types of things start to really become almost immeasurable because if protecting against runoff and making sure that we're not watering when the soil is too wet are great, but mm -hmm. leaks and breaks amount to so much potential water waste. And there's mm -hmm. been so many cases where, you know, we've gone into a new customer and they put their product in the ground and all of a sudden it starts flagging all these different issues. And they call up, say, hey, your product doesn't work. We go out there, we identify the product's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. What, what it's doing is identifying all the field issues that you have that you don't understand, that maybe your previous product wasn't helping you understand. Mm -hmm. um, and even some of the, the technology out there for irrigating the fields themselves, you know, moving towards micrometers, subsurface drip. Um, where you only put water where you need the water instead of you know watering all this bare dirt, you're just giving the plants that need the water the water. Um, and even in cases where you do need sprays, looking at rotary nozzles, which provide larger droplets of water as opposed to misting, which when you, you get that mist and the wind blows, we all know when we were kids, we just run around and the water mm -hmm. is blowing on us. Well, that means it's not getting on the plant material. And so having those heavier droplets using, you know, different rotary nozzles makes a big difference. And those are, those are all technological enhancements and advancements that have occurred in, in just the last 20, 30 years. They've really um, become more commonplace. And especially the last 10 years, I think, as, as droughts have become more commonplace, there's more investments and more energy being put into different ways to make a difference for the water conservation. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly fascinating. But while technology plays a big role, it's true that you can only get so far until you change behaviors and mindsets. So what are other approaches to water conservation that should be taken into consideration? It's a great question. I think there's really a, a lot of different ways to approach that question. You know, realistically, when I think about water conservation, it's the landscape irrigation that we do, obviously, is, is a great area where we can make a difference. But there's so many other places, even leading up to the point where we put that water, apply the water to the ground, that need to be considered more upstream sources. So, for example, a lot of our water here in San Diego County 
comes from the Colorado River, gets blended in with you know, water from other parts of the state and fed down to us. And when you start to think about where that water comes from, you know, the states of Arizona and Nevada, they get water from the Colorado River as well. And they'll pull out the water, they'll use it, it'll end up in their sewer system or storm drains. You know, they do some treatment on that and then they put it back into the Colorado River, you know, comes further downstream. We then treat it and then, you know, that becomes potable water for us. And looking at different ways of reusing that water multiple times before it gets put back into the river is crucial. You know, here mm -hmm. in California, we do a lot with reclaimed water. Um, for example, even the city of San Marcos doesn't have the the infrastructure to use reclaimed water for landscape irrigation. So it actually sells that water to the city of Carlsbad, who, you know, gets treated and then they use it because they have the infrastructure to be able to support that. So that's a big, big thing that needs to happen, I believe, more and more. Um, additionally, when we talk about reclaimed water, basically mm -hmm. it's typically sewer water that's gone through certain level of treatment. And then it's not necessarily clean enough to drink, but it's good enough for the soil. Well, you can take that to you know, run it through one or two more cycles of reverse osmosis, and you actually have pure drinking water. Um, in fact, so pure that they typically need to remineralize it. And hmm. so that's the term is called potable reuse. And here in California, we still only allow indirect potable reuse, uh, which is the idea of taking that treated water. We then put that into reservoirs that store other water, allow it to blend for a period of time before putting it back into circulation within the system. Um, direct potable reuse would allow that water to come directly into the drinking water system. And the challenge we have there, you talked about behaviors and mindsets. Mindsets become a really critical aspect to that. Um, there's a, a somewhat derogatory term people have used when it comes to potable reuse, which is toilet to tap. The concept being, I don't want to drink that water. And mm -hmm. not realizing that ultimately we already are, especially here in Southern California, because the water that we get from the Colorado River has already gone through Arizona and Nevada and other states. Yeah. And so it's already gone through that. And even going further back in time, you know, all the water we have here, we don't have the ability to make more water. So, as you know, all that water, the groundwater and things like that, that we're using at some point probably passed through at least one other animal before getting to our drinking system. Mm -hmm. And you know, maybe millions of years separated um, but those trying to get people to understand that the technology today has advanced so much to the point where, like desalinization, the water is so incredibly pure that they actually have to run it through limestone or other types of minerals to remineralize the water. You know, that wasn't possible 50 years ago. It is today. And we need to really shift that that mindset on, mm -hmm. you know, this is good, clean drinkable water and we should be reusing it as much as we can before we start to you know just dump whatever's left down in out to the ocean yeah i mean you know you talked about states how can cities park districts schools and universities approach irrigation given their drought problems and the resulting restrictions you know looking at that particular base of entities. What's great about it is all of them are funded through 
public monies. And one of the things that everybody wants to do that's in those realms is make sure that they're doing the right thing for their constituents. And so there's a lot of opportunities where as they, these entities start to adopt technology like ours and, you know, subsurface drip and microemitters and things like that, that they can start to show to their constituents, look, we as a city or as a school district are making a difference and conserving water. The, the side benefit for those entities is they also get to save money. Now, water is mm -hmm. expensive in a lot of parts of the country and labor is expensive. So when you start to look at using technology with cloud applications and mobile applications, being able to remotely monitor your system and be notified when there's problems and be able to target your crews to go out to fix just areas where you have problems, not having to walk around an entire park to see where the problem is, but getting pinpoint data down to the actual coordinates where the problem occurred can save so much money. So you have kind of you know, a win-win situation where you're not just saving water, which is, I believe, the most important thing people should be focusing on, but you're also saving money. And mm -hmm. there's a lot, also a lot of programs available for entities through, you know, different rebate programs and things like that to be able to fund some of those so they don't have to necessarily put up the upfront capital. Even looking at programs like our recently announced irrigation management as a service, you know, that allows entities to start to realize water savings across their entire, you know, facility or uh, their you know, entire city district or city grounds immediately without the upfront cost that you'd have with traditional capital expenses. And I think that those are definitely several ways that these different entities can start to approach irrigation and trying to save that water while saving money. Let's talk about corporations. So in the case of Calsins, Calsins is in the smart irrigation industry. So water conservation, it's at the core of the company. But is there a place for other corporations to step into water conservation and also sustainability in general? Absolutely. I think, you know, being at the helm of Calsins, I've been really proud with the various steps that we as a corporation have taken over the last several years um, and even very recently to be better stewards of our environment and reduce our greenhouse gas emissions and you know resulting in lower carbon footprint and things like that. I think there's so many things that corporations can do. Um, one of the first things I think is to start to do some research on local programs incentives to help fund either water conservation efforts or sustainability efforts. You know, for example, a lot of places have rebates available for smart irrigation products. So you can actually offset some of the cost if you own your building and you've got, you know, land around it that needs to be irrigated. There's monies available to put in smart irrigation products to help manage that irrigation, helping you save water. There's also different programs available on other aspects of sustainability. You know, we all know about solar and some of the rebates that are available there. Um, but even things like swapping out the your light bulbs in your facility with LED bulbs. There's a lot of rebates available to do those types of things. Um, and, you know, for us as a company, very recently we achieved a, the state of California has a green business program and we were able to achieve a green business certification through that program. And that program alone was really impressive because the basically outlined exactly what steps you could take to be more, more responsible. 
And so some of the things that we did, you know, some of the larger things that I think nearly any company can do is looking at, for example, their fleet of vehicles and starting to swap out those fleets for hybrid or electric fleets, looking at putting in monitoring services such as Geotab to allow the ability to monitor the fleet to make sure that, hey, how are we doing in terms of idling? Idling consumes fuel, um, also results in greenhouse gas emissions. So helping to teach employees um, that are out in the field how to you know, do their job without, you know, reduce their carbon footprint, I guess would be a good way to put it. Um, we also recently worked with UPS to offset our carbon footprint um, for all the shipping that we do. So, you know, that's huge and it, it's not a big expense. And to me, it's worth the expense. And so looking at any sort of green business programs that are available in your local region can really do a lot because it tells you what you can do and gives you resources to help do those things. Um, at the same time, I think it's extremely important for companies not just to show that they are being more sustainable and doing those right things. I think it's important to also give the opportunity for the employees to do the same thing. So, for example, for companies that have retirement accounts, looking at adding some ESG funds, which are, you know, have divested from deforestation and fossil fuels and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, looking at perhaps implementing commuter benefits programs. So giving employees the opportunities to use pre-tax dollars towards you know buses and trains and even you know perhaps purchasing bicycles or bicycle equipment to help once again them be more sustainable and live more sustainably beyond just you know working for a company that makes a difference being able to make that difference themselves also you you mentioned uh giving employees those opportunities, you know, to be part of this green movement. But what about um, individuals, you know, just like you and me? Like, how can we all chip in to help during this severe drought wine? I think it's a great question. And there's, you know, I already mentioned some of the ways that companies can help encourage their employees, but there's so many things that we can do. You know, for example, just being a good neighbor is is a really big one. If you see a problem, if you see you know, a leak in your neighbor's yard, or if you see that they're watering 10 minutes a day, seven days a week, you know, be a good neighbor and let them know. And if you see something in the public arena, um, you know, maybe a park that's irrigating in the middle of the day or a lot of runoff coming from a streetscape or a median and things like that, um, contact the city and let them know what you see because everybody wants to be a part of making that bigger difference. Um, additionally, you know, for those who have homes, looking at trying to figure out what can you do more sustainably in terms of your own landscape, not just looking at technology like ours, but even perhaps starting to replace some of those plants. Um, you know, sending a kind of water authority and a lot of local agencies, water agencies here actually have competitions where you can be rewarded and get some publicity for putting in drought tolerant plant material and native plants and things like that. And it's it's funny, I've, I've got a very small yard, but 
I did that several years ago, and to this day, it's still one of the most beautiful, most colorful landscapes in the neighborhood, simply because these various succulents and cactuses and things like that, they bloom throughout different parts of the year. They have extremely vibrant colors. You know, it's not all leafy greens. There's oranges and blues and tans and greens and of every shade throughout the entire year. And some of those are the plants themselves, some are the, the blooms that come across. And so there's a lot that people can do from that aspect. Additionally, in the home, you know, we talked a lot about earlier about reusing as much as possible. Mm -hmm. you know, there's shorter showers, everybody hears. All right, let's take a shorter shower. Um, and that'll absolutely make a difference. But even just things like, you know, looking at when you're preparing food, how much water do you actually need? Do you need that? 12 cups of water six cups of water to cook the pasta that you're making for dinner or can you realistically use less every little bit counts and any water that you end up using for cooking you know if it's if there's not too much stuff in it can that be reused for something else um, even just watering some of the plants um, you know if you cook rice or pasta that that water can probably still be usable for something else, such as, you know, just putting mm -hmm. on the outdoor plants. Um, and if you're concerned about it possibly being, you know, too much of whatever it is that was in the pasta, um, if you've got rain barrels that collect some of the water that we get during rainfall or from mist, mm -hmm. um, pour, pour it in there and let it mix with the water that you already have stored in there. And that'll kind of dilute whatever those things are and give you the ability just like when we talked a little bit about potable reuse um, mm -hmm. allows it to blend in and now it's perfectly good water to use on the on the plants outside so really just looking at everything that we can do and understanding the impact that of what we do every day um, you know brushing teeth and uh, you know shorter showers and if you need if it takes time for your water to heat up you know, capturing that water in a bucket, um, mm -hmm. you know, helping to encourage your kids, right? Let's be honest, the next generation, they're the ones that are really going to be living in this, um, whatever the world becomes over the next few years, and giving them those same tools to be able to understand how they can make a difference. Um, for example, I, I work with my kids and I teach them how to raise their own fruits and vegetables. And we have a small aquaponic system in the house where we grow, you know, various lettuce and herbs and things like that. And, you know, the kids love it because they've got fish that they get to look at and really, you know, play with and things like that. And so just looking at not just what we do, but how can we inspire others, and especially the people around us, those closest, including our kids, to make a difference? That's really what's going to make the most dramatic difference from an individual perspective. You know, I think what we individually do makes a difference. If we can each inspire one person or two people to then make a difference and they can each inspire one or two people, that's how you get change. And I think a great example is what happened here in California with the straws. You know, they basically said, hey, we're no longer going to allow plastic straws. And a lot of people got upset. Um, but you know what happened? It worked. And the straws that you find now are paper straws. A lot of people have bring their own straws. Um, you know, that are metal or plastic that are reusable and things like that. So that that experience proves that as a society, we can make a change as long mm -hmm. as everybody basically rallies around the same point. 
And I think another thing we need to do is, you know, stop politicizing some of the challenges that we have. You know, the term climate change has become somewhat political over the years. And so I've actually stopped using climate change. and I've started using climate crisis because that's really what we're in. And the mega drought that we're experiencing here in California is a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that we just need to all come together and realize that, you know, right now we only have this one planet. And I know there's talks about trying to get out to Mars and things like that. Well, guess what? There's no water on Mars either. So, you know, that's (laughs) going to be even more challenging. And so anybody who ends up, you know, if if that becomes if that comes to fruition, moving up there, you know, they're going to have a whole different lifestyle. And we should be looking at what does it take to live on a planet where we can't get more water because we can't get more water. We can't make more water. And really make sure that we're doing the best for humanity, the best for our plant life, our animal life. And let's make sure that we do what we need to for everybody involved. Well, AJ, it's always so empowering to talk to you about these issues. Thank you so much for taking the time to be a guest on our podcast. I really appreciate it, Carolina. Really excited for you know, where things are going. And I truly hope that we can continue to make a big difference and inspire more people to do the same. That was AJ Vandeven, president and CEO of Galsynth, who has been at the helm of the company since 2016. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you'd like to listen to other episodes, visit calsynth.com slash podcast or search for H2Omics on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, I'm Carolina Alban Stoughton.